This is Urban Tiger Radio, a project supported by CybermouseMultimedia.com, sponsors of our free weekly podcasts. Search for Urban Tiger Radio in the iTunes Store or on Stitcher.com and hit the subscribe button to receive free automatic downloads. Please remember to share and rate our show before you leave. Okay, I want to tell you now about an anthology that I produced some time ago. It was a labour of love and it was done on behalf of the Lymphoma Society. Now the anthology is called Watch and Wait. It has a wonderful cover done by the lovely Emma J. Graham, who has done several covers for me. And I'll read you the back of the book. The book says, Time. This strangely amorphous essence that we have in seeming abundance. Time. These twenty authors have given of it freely. Their gifted stories are eclectic, strangely familiar or great and good fun. Often weirdly nostalgic in ways that will question your perception. But all without exception are of the highest quality. There are household names major prize winners alongside others who soon will be. So just watch and wait. With Angela Robson, Judith Allnatt, Burley Doherty, Julia South, Bill Allerton, Kirsten Zhang, Bryony Doran, Leslie Glaister, Caroline Pitcher, Linda Lee Welsh, Danuta Rea, Marina Levitsky, David Swan, Roni Robinson, Henry Shookman, Ruth Valentine, Ian Macmillan, Susan Elliott Wright, Gemma Kennedy, and Ursula Strickland. Now there's a catalogue of authors for you. Now, once I get inside this book, there's a little piece about lymphoma. Although lymphoma is a cancer that affects 14,000 people each year, It is not that well known. Whilst it is the most common form of blood cancer and most prevalent in people aged over 55, it is also the most frequently diagnosed cancer amongst young people. There are no known factors around its incidence or triggers. It doesn't matter what you've done or haven't done. There are many different forms which makes diagnosis and treatment even more complex. Because of this, and many other factors. It's a hard disease to understand and cope with. Between treatments, watch and wait is all you can do. Through this anthology, we hope to raise awareness of this indiscriminate disease. There's a preface to this book, and it's called Why This Anthology? You may as well ask, why anything? We wander along through life thinking everything is fine until we run up against something that rocks us back on our heels. If we are very lucky, we never encounter that special something ourselves, but are fated to observe it in others. For now, it's my fate to be an observer. I'll tell you a story. One Christmas, Bryony, my partner, found it difficult to come up with an original present. As I've been learning, the the guitar, 
I thought that singing lessons might be a good idea. I suppose that good is entirely subjective, depending on whether you're singing or listening. Now, Bryony found someone who was prepared to try and teach an irreverent, ineducable, such as myself, the rudiments of the vocal arts. Well, we tried. Or rather, he tried. The sessions ended up in gales of laughter and spent wit, but with little in the way of vocal advancement. I will state here that he had the ability to be a fine teacher. After all, that's what he used to do as a profession. But I lacked the ability to be a fine pupil. To cut this short, he became my mate Andrew, the brother I never had. Andrew is living with lymphoma, and Bryony and I have spent some time sitting around hospital beds with the rest of his harem of well-wishers while he has undergone chemotherapy, new knees and other essential indignities brought about largely by the progression of this condition. Throughout all this, Andrew has maintained a stoic sense of humour and good nature, always looking after others before himself while arranging care homes and assistance for those he considered less well-equipped to survive than he. I come away from this with an overwhelming sense of admiration for his courage and an understanding that an Andrew is for life, not just for Christmas. I would like to particularly thank the following for their support in this project. Andrew, for his help in the initial concept. Each author who has gifted their work. Julie Brazier, for her help in the proofing of manuscripts. And Emma J. Graham, for her inspired cover image. I dedicate this anthology to Andrew and all others living with lymphoma. The first story I'm going to read in here is actually two very short stories by Angela Robson. So this is about Angela. Angela Robson is an award-winning writer, broadcaster and filmmaker. As a foreign correspondent for the BBC Le Monde Diplomatique, Al Jazeera and The Guardian, she has reported from over 50 countries. Angela's love of writing and journalism began when she found herself in Sierra Leone during the beginning of the Civil War in 1986. Her feature made the front cover and a centre spread of The Independent. This was the trigger she needed to leave her then position with a major human rights organisation and embrace the world of writing and journalism full time. Her awards since include the European Commission's Natalie Lorenzo Prize, first prize for Europe, for her article Sierra Leone, Revenge and Reconciliation, and the Guardian International Development Journalism Prize for a series of reports about sexual violence in Haiti. A documentary about deforestation and land grabs in Ghana was runner-up winner for the British Media and Environment Award. Angela holds a master's degree in English from the University of Toronto, Canada and a BA Honours in English Literature from the University of York. She is currently working on her first novel, Aftershock, set in Haiti. The first of Angela's two short stories is The Jungle Palace.
The pathway leading to the house is knotted with vines. Jungle has reclaimed the pink concrete car park and the elaborately laid out gardens. The door is open. The building is filled with light. Guests would not have known where to look first on entering. The huge fake stalactites, the imposing oak-panelled bar area, the ceiling-high windows gaping outwards, or the pool with its mosaic of the Liberian flag emblazoned on the red and white striped tiles. A waiter would have provided the answer, gesturing them to come to the bar, offering them beers. The president is on his way down. Samuel Doe's unfinished dream house. This three-storey mansion here in Zvedru, forest capital of Liberia's Grand Gede County, was scheduled for completion in the summer of 91. The underground escape tunnel had been finished first. What were his thoughts, I wonder, when they captured him in Monrovia? The first interrogation lasts 14 minutes, filmed throughout on a shaky video camera, a film that will later make the rounds of most cinemas in Liberia. You can watch the soldiers trying to tug off his shirt, incapable of wrestling it over his shackled hands. They smash his thick glasses, then remove the green army trousers. His large white underpants are smeared with bloody streaks. Beneath a picture of Christ, his rival Prince Johnson swills cans of Heineken and asks Doe for his bank account numbers. I recall the last image of him. Legs, strong and muscular, arms and chest, powerful, disfigured head, hidden. His body dwarfs the triumphant ragtag of adolescent boys brandishing Kalashnikovs and wild stares that surround him, their bandanas inlaid with shiny brass bullets. I think of Doe's wife, wondering if she ever saw this. She will know the details, how they first cut off his ear with a dirty penknife while two men pinned him to the ground. This house, fit for a president, was abandoned by builders the following day. The windows are open to the elements now. Pools of brown water have collected on the cream marble staircases and the mahogany floors. Swallows flit in and out regardless of my presence, nesting in the creepers, growing up the grey, cracked walls. The second story from Angela's contribution is called Wedding Pictures. I had heard that you were unusually tall, even for a white woman. Hair brown and curly, beautiful and fearless. I can deal with beauty. It is the fearlessness that makes me wary. I watch you approach the front gate a little too confidently for a first visit. Did you think, because you are young, that I would treat you delicately? Did you presume that we would become best friends? You smile 
when I opened the door. I, I was just passing. I saw the house name, the number. I didn't expect... You didn't expect what? I replied, trying to be polite. I, I wanted to see, you continue. Well, you know, I felt it was right to greet you. I didn't expect you to be in. Why come then? I want to say. Why captivate my husband in Nairobi with your slender ankles, your concern for the child soldiers of Africa? We are all in, I answer firmly, trying to keep the anger out of my voice. You enter without invitation, up the stairs and straight into the second living room. I can tell that you are surprised by the house. The cream leather sofas, the silver table in the centre of the room, the white grand piano. Am I the person you presumed I would be? Someone who will be reserved and deferential, who will say nothing about the double-page spread in the newspaper, the vivid account of your life in the African bush as the wife of a rebel leader, the photo in front of your small mud hut, wearing your long floating skirt and African beads with your arms around his neck. You turn away from the window. It's a shame about the traffic noise. There is no traffic noise, I reply. And besides, we like living on a busy road. But why Swiss Cottage? Why not, I say. It's near the children's schools. It is close to the embassies. It is good for diplomats. Malik is not a diplomat. But I am, I say. You look shocked, though you try not to let me notice it. He will not have told you that part of the story. Does my husband see you in the same way I do? Is he too dark to notice the large black irises in your grey-green eyes, the pale freckles on the small upturned nose? Does he not see what I see? I, I didn't know they dressed boys like that. The words tumble out of your mouth before you can help it. My youngest son has crept in quietly and wrapped himself around my right calf. It is traditional cloth, I reply. You haven't come across this in our country? But you are not listening. On your face there is a stung expression. Your man in my child's face. Large inquiring eyes. Blue, black, shining skin. The boy Malik is most protective of. Where you think I am not an obstacle, my child is. It is clear you want to know everything, thirsty for details so that you can construct the jigsaw of Malik's life before your arrival. You do not want straightforward answers. No, you are too complex for that. You need the blow to the stomach encounters such as ours will deliver. He wants a feed, I say, sensing what this will trigger. You're, you're breastfeeding still? He's only 13 months. He still wants it. And if it is too much for you, this reminder 
that my child's conception was not so long ago. I will tell you also that my skin will age differently from yours. My belly will never show the stretch marks of pregnancy. We have heard it so often. The white girl who comes to the dark continent, who feels alive for the first time. Our men are excited when you wear our glinting beads around your waist and head down to the beach after sunset. You understand polygamy, you told the newspaper reporter. It is an African tradition which is never going to change. Far better for it to be sanctioned and accepted. I pick up the boy and give him my breast. Well, that was Angela's contribution to Watch and Wait, our anthology for the Lymphoma Association. There will be more to come. I will follow that on with a story from Burley Doherty, then one by me, and then Brian Doran, and we'll carry on till we've got all 20 authors published on SoundCloud, on Urban Tiger Radio, for your enjoyment. Thank you.